Explore Milwaukee's past and its future, one building at a time. This is Urban Spelunking with On Milwaukee's Bobby Tanzillo and me, Nate Immig, from 88.9. To the east side this week on Urban Spelunking. Bobby, this is a really, this is an impressive amount of information and research that went into this. Uh, you could definitely do a documentary just, a, just on this article. That it's you the wrote. start of my book on this building. Uh, this is really fascinating <laughs> stuff. We're talking about the former, this is a Schlitz Tide House too. We can check off another Schlitz another Tide Schlitz House. And, and one of my favorite kind of bars. The Triangular Bar. Yes, the former home the, of Trocadero and mm-hmm. Demota Pizza. Mm-hmm. Soon to be Taro Cocina, Mexican-Italian fusion kind of restaurant. Okay, so reopening. Mm-hmm. It's been closed for a little bit since 2019. Yep. And, of course, this building goes back much, much farther than that. So uh, you found so much in this story, and so much of it centers around this family, the Drummels, who were there for like 50 years. Yeah, they, they had it by uh, 1910. Uh, and the wife Agnes was still renting out, was still involved in it. Uh, she was renting out the tavern, but she was also managing the apartments and rooms upstairs until like the mid sixties when she retired. So that, I mean, that's 50 odd years that, that the family was associated with the place, which is pretty amazing. So two of the sons and one of the daughters, right. All served in the military and mm-hmm. served in world war two. Yep. Yep. And we had two, two different, uh, political races, right? Right. The sons ran for alderman. So really active family, of course, business owners, but... Um, oh, and I should say one of the sons started the Drummel uh, company, which was like a construction company that helped build the Hone Bridge. Oh, wow. Okay. It did all sorts of work for the city, construction work for the city. Well, and what, what really makes this so special is you you were able to connect with the family and source all these amazing photos. And, um, you know, we mentioned the the military career. Here's, there's, there's a headshot of, of the three of them posing for a picture all in their uniforms and... Um, just a really incredible uh, images in this in this piece. It's fun because what often happens is sometimes I can't find family members, you know, while I'm writing the story. But what often happens is I run the story and then I hear from a family member, and that's what happened in this case. Uh, a Drummel messaged me and said, "I learned so much about my family from your story. Wow! But here's a few more things you maybe didn't know, or like clarifications of things, which was great. And then she said, and I also have some pictures if you're interested. Um, and so I ended up with a bunch of the really great vintage photos that are in the story came from her. So the story that you see now, if you go to the link, uh, is different than the story of the day it ran, but it's the much improved, it's uh, the second edition. Yeah, and these, I mean, these photos, when you can look into the eyes of some of these people that were so involved in the business, I mean, that, that whose name was on the building for all this, all this time, it really does add another layer of just like connection to it, which is really, really special. Yeah, it's one thing to see, you know, Frank Drummel's name in, you know, a city directory or on a permit or something, but then to see him in this like photo, probably from around 1910, standing in front of the bar in his apron with the, you know, with the name of the tavern over the top, it's, it just, it gives a whole different dimension to it, doesn't it? Well, as you mentioned, I mean, the history goes back to 1910, even a little earlier than that. And coming up in the second part here, Bobby, we're going to wind back the clock. We're going to go through the timeline, which includes so much history about this one particular family next on Urban Spelunking. Do you remember the last time you fell down a musical rabbit hole? You heard a great song that led you to a great album, which led you to falling in love with a new artist, which introduced you to a whole new genre of music. Just like you, our DJ's curiosity for music never stops. That's why you listen to Radio Milwaukee, and it's a great reason to give. Support your home for music discovery at radiomilwaukee.org slash donate.
And we are back on Urban Spelunking. And where should we start, Bobby? What's the year? Uh, 1890 is when this was built, and it was designed by Charles Kirchhoff, who was a well-known Milwaukee architect who was sort of Schlitz's preferred architect for tide houses. And I love the way that architects like, I mean, he's not the only one, but like him in this case, had this tiny little piece of land, this like little spit of land where Pearson and North Water Street kind of come together. Um, And he manages to make the best possible use of that space, right? I mean, when you walk into the building, it's barely wider than the doorway. I mean, you could stick, you probably couldn't even stick your arms out without you know, touching both walls. And that's what gives and, it that. I mean, that is so distinctive. I mean, yeah. anybody that's been in this building knows it's got that, that interesting triangular shape, but it's also just a beautiful building. It's got these just like really gorgeous masonry arches. And it's got this great sort of, uh, like bay at the top that, you know, offers a great view off the top floor. Um, it really, and there's just so great little architectural details and things that it's just a really stunning building for the, for being in a, a piece of land that almost looks like, it, it should just be like a little grassy triangle or something, right? <laughs> right. I mean, it just looks completely improbable. Yeah, like um, we just took that whole building off like a Lego, like a Lego block. I mean, the footprint of it is. You'd be like, you couldn't build a building here, right? <laughs> <laughs> but but they did that all over the city. I mean, there were yeah. buildings, there were mm-hmm. especially taverns, but like just all kinds of buildings like this all over the city. Other cities have them too. Um, so I love that about it. I just I feel like it's really distinctive and and unique. Um, and you can still spot that that Schlitz marking on the t- on the top of the building that that you know it was. A tide house, right? Yep, yep. Um, and it's got a it's got a pan like a terracotta panel with the date on it. Um, and the first guy that ran it as a bar was George Fisher, and I was able to find um, an ad in the newspaper for the grand opening of the building, which was super fun. You don't always find that kind of stuff, so that was really nice to see that. Um, and that would have been when that was eighteen ninety. And he said, it's interesting because he says, the hall being recently renovated, I take this opportunity to invite oh, yeah. my numerous friends for an inspection and partake <laughs> of the fir- of a first-class lunch and Schlitz beer. Um, You're like, renovated? Renovated. Built? But that's, yeah, so I don't get what's going on there. But I mean, that's, I mean, there's a date on the building that says 1890. The, the building permit says 1890. I, 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 maybe he was using renovated in a different different way. Yeah. Or he says renovation of the hall. So maybe they changed the, who knows? Yeah. Maybe know. there was things they finished up. I have, yeah. 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 I don't know. But, um, so he was the first guy to run it and he ran it for at least a few years because three years after it opens, it has a fire. Oh yeah. And that's just so common, <laughs> right? It just... Yeah. Right. Um, and it was interesting because during the fire, there was already rooms upstairs that were being rented. Um, one of the people who lived upstairs uh, reported that about $30 of jewelry was stolen during the fire. Oh, really? Which wow. Which is sort of interesting. So people were running into the fire to go steal jewelry, huh? Yeah, I guess. This isn't Taking advantage. That's it. Was this when it was also uh, a hotel or boarding house or... Yeah, so, yeah, so the, the, the ground floor, right, there, yeah, it could be. The ground floor was the tavern. Um, one of the upper floors was probably where the, the saloon keeper lived, and then the other floor was probably, it was rented rooms. I see, okay. Um, and that, that was the situation when the Drummels, who we talked about earlier, um, lived there. They lived upstairs, but they also rented rooms on the other, because there's two upstairs floors. Um, and so the Drummels come by 1910, and they they raise a family in this you know, the uh, Agnes and Frank run the business downstairs. Well, let and, me, I mean, just before we okay, get there. Okay. So 
there was a fire three years after the... So in the 1890s, there was a, early 1890s. And then does uh, Fisher keep running it from then on? It seems like it. It's hard to tell. It kind of goes dark. I mean, we're talking uh, 1890s. Stuff. Records right, weren't exactly... Yeah, right. There's not always on something Google. That, Right. There's not always something that, that makes it clear. Because even if you... Sometimes even if you look in the um, city directories, often there's names, but not always. And, you know... Yeah, but whatever was going on with the fire, it didn't destroy the building. No, right? no, no. To, it, it probably... It doesn't seem like it was that that bad. Got it. Okay, so 1910 is when the Drummles move in and rename it, right? It becomes the... Is it the Pleasant House? Yeah. So the, this photo that that the the Drummel family member sent me um, shows it as Frank Drummel's Pleasant House. I love that. I love a Pleasant House. <laughs> Who wouldn't want to go to a Pleasant House, right? Um, and there's a photo of them like standing on the front step. It's the most like iconic 1910 photo that you can imagine, where yeah. the the bartender's wearing the the barkeeper's apron and the yeah, and the, the other guy's got a hat. Yeah, right? and they're just standing there stoic at, at the business. From like across the street. Yeah, and it's really interesting to see because um, there's a giant Schlitz mural painted on the Pearson side of the building at that point. Now there's no, all that stuff's gone, but for a long time there was a huge Blatz mural much later painted on it and stuff too. So the building is gone, and there was a time when the entire building was painted. Uh, Now it's all just cleaned cream city brick, which is really nice. Um, but that, that's sort of a reminder of the various iterations that it went through. But it's interesting that for, you know, about 50 years, it didn't go through any iterations. It was just Drummles, which is pretty a pretty amazing run. So let's talk about that family. Uh, the the matriarch, Agnes, and her... And her husband, Frank. Frank, okay. Mm-hmm. And then they had three children? Um, there seems to be a discrepancy. We've, we've found another daughter that the family member didn't know about. So there is some confusion about, it seems that there were two sons and two daughters, but, um, but there's a little discrepancy there that we were not able to sort out ourselves. I mean, we see this person listed in records, Okay. so this person must've existed, but, but, uh, the family member did not know about them. So that's. Curious. Okay, so um, we know for certain. Three, we know for a sure, picture we, of three of them in the story, and we don't know anything about the fourth one other than a name that we've got. You know, okay. but the, the three ones that we would talk about are the the two sons, uh, William and Oscar, and um, who both ran for alderman and both joined the military and served in. World War II, and then their daughter, Teresa, who to me is the most intriguing character. And I should say Oscar is the one who went on to found the company uh, that worked on the Hone Bridge and all that. But Teresa, to me, is the most interesting because um, she joins the waves during World War II. And so, so she and serves the waves? In, the war, in the war. It's a, um, a female branch of the military. And um, she serves. And when the war ends, she stays in Europe and for like decades, she works for the State Department running these um, like library slash information centers, which I think are probably sort of propaganda, <laughs> you know, a way of spreading. Well, hey, how do you the, mean? Oh, I see. Okay. You know, I mean, because after the war, you know, you, you start having this sort of split where the United States starts to freak out that, the, you know, that European countries are going to sort of fall in onto the into the influence of the Soviet Union and they're trying to sort of battle democracy versus communism and all this. So um I think these were probably a way of just kind of subtly providing information. Or maybe not providing information. Information, you know? yes. Yeah. And so she was 
active in that. And was she, this like an underground spy agency by chance, or was it? A, I wonder. That's what I mean. I wonder I mean. because um, the family <laughs> member says we always thought we always thought that Aunt Teresa was in the CIA or something because uh, apparently there was stuff she couldn't talk about. Should we even be talking about this? I don't know. Talking about what? <laughs> um, but but anyway, but she was what we what she was doing at least ostensibly was. Uh, and maybe what accurately she was doing, we don't know, um, was in the papers. I mean, she every she came home to visit two or three times, and when she came back, it was newsworthy. It was in the newspapers, and they were talking about the job she was doing, how long she was staying and in, in Milwaukee to visit, and one of the trips wow. after she was, uh, she had come back to the United States to have meetings in Washington, D.C. Uh, with the State Department, and then had come home to see her family while she was back in the country and stuff. So it was, it was definitely not a secret who she was and what she was doing. For sure. And this is like 1950s? That's in the 50s and 60s. And she was in Vienna first, and then she moved to, um, she went to Belgrade. So after she was in Vienna for a long time, she went to Belgrade. And what's interesting is her number two in Vienna be- took over her position in Vienna. And that woman was also from Milwaukee. Really? Wow. Yeah. So, so two uh, Milwaukee connections to this. Miss June Helgeson. And this is all at the Information Centers Abroad. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Um, oh, and June Helgeson, the, wo- the woman who took over in Vienna, had been a librarian at the Charles Alice um, Art Museum. Oh, wow. There's all this Milwaukee yeah, stuff fresh into this funny. story. Um, you never disappoint. So, um, they oh, yeah. Were- oh, yeah. I want to I say this. Uh, so Meg Drummel Boyle, who's the woman that contacted me and gave me information, said she always stayed with, talking about Teresa, said she always stayed with her family when she came to town. I was her caregiver for years at the end of her life and spent much time with her throughout my life. We assumed that she was in something like the CIA because she could never speak about her exact positions in Europe. Mm, the plot thickens here. Yes. So that's interesting, isn't it? And she had lived to be 96. She was overseas for 36 years and got like uh, an award from the Pope for her work. So interesting. It's definitely an interesting figure. For sure. And and all these elements of the story, did did you know this before? Like, was this part of the second wave of information that came in? That you no, that, uh, the the quote from Meg was new, but the other stuff I had found in newspaper reports of her coming back to visit. So I knew about that stuff already. So you mentioned that the building, of course, was a tide house and had a tavern, but we, we, we mentioned it briefly, but there's also apartments and before that um, kind of short-term rooming houses, right? Yeah, and Agnes... Uh, managed that stuff. So even after um, Frank died, uh, Agnes was running the bar for a little while. Then I think she starts to rent out the bar to other operators, but she continues to run the the rentals in the rooming house upstairs. So she continues to run the place. And um, after a little while, she rents out the bar to other operators, but she keeps running the, the bars. The I'm sorry. She keeps running the apartments and rooms upstairs. Um, so the family is involved in this place for a really long time until about the mid sixties. Um, and then it becomes a lot of different places that people remember. Uh, I found from the, <laughs> from the comments. Um, there's so it was like a, a string of memorable places. Yeah. It was like Caesar's cocktail lounge for a while. Okay. And then it became under the bridge, which right. was pretty well known. Um, were these all short kind of short term? Some of them were there for a fair amount of time. Um, and then sequels was there for quite sequels, a while. Yeah, and sequels was there until Trocadero. Yes. Okay. And Trocadero moves in in two th- early two thousands, right? Like 2001. yeah, 2001. And so, um, Mike, I who owns the nomad, Buys it and opens Trocadero, which is a really interesting place, right? Because it's supposed to be this French-themed place, and they paint these sort of French, uh, like these Parisian metro kind of 
decor inside and he puts a mm-hmm. zinc bar top like a Parisian cafe a, pr- a Parisian bar and they have that little newsstand remember that they, that sold like Gitan cigarettes and um, oh, like French yes, newspapers yes. and things mm-hmm. like when you'd walk in the main entrance it was off to the left it had a concept right like it a very definitely defined had a con- really vision. strong concept and then they built that whole patio thing out in the back yes. which was just it became such a great place to to spend like a beautiful day sitting out there and then later they turned the part of the upstairs into some of it was their offices. Um, and then the second floor was red light, which was sort of like a, a dance club. Yeah. They did, they did a bunch of cool parties and yeah. uh, theme stuff and yeah. it was kind of a nightclub experience up there. Yeah. And so the new people that bought it, um, a father and <laughs> a father and son, um, they didn't really plan on doing a ton of work because it was in really good shape. You know, it was, it had, because not after Trocadero left, then it was Demoda Pizza. So it was operating up until fairly recently. So they basically, they walked in, they'd bought it kind of as is. And it had all of I mean, the day I visited, it still, I was amazed to see like the kitchen was entirely yeah. intact. I mean, there were knives. Looked, there were like still knives could, there. Yeah, they could know? just open up. They could see how we're open Literally, today. and that's what he said. He said, we're, we're going to paint and do a few things, but there's nothing wrong with all these tables and chairs. Is <laughs> like just, I mean, it was, it was basically fully furnished. What is the timeline then? They said that. Well, I, I guess think for, I think they might be open by the time this airs. They might be open. Oh, really? I know, okay. I know the opening. I've so been opening told is soon. fairly imminent. You know, I don't have an exact date, but it's possible it's open by the time people hear this. And you mentioned that it's going to be kind of a, a fusion of Italian and Mexican, or Italian yeah, and- they're they're a Mexican American family, and they I, and the dad worked for a really long time at Louise's. On Wells, okay. across from Cathedral sure, Square, yeah. so he has some uh, he has some good experience He's, cooking Italian. So yeah, I think for sure. they're going to try and create sort of a, a somewhat unique blend of Mexican and Italian. I'll be interested to see what that looks like. Yeah, that's really interesting. Nobody really doing food so like, like that. Pesto I, tacos or something. I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't sounds, know. I don't know what it like, means. I can't wait to find out. And how are they using the space? Do you know? Is it going to be um, similar? Really similar? The I mean, the restaurant and the patio are all going to be just like they were with the bar in front, and they're going to convert the upstairs or at least the former red light space into like event space um, for parties, like party room and that sort of thing and maybe overflow dining. So it's really going to be a lot like, like it was. There's a lot of people. I mean, this is a, of course is right in the East, right in the middle of the East side. Yeah. Um, it's right, like a block off Brady, right? Yeah. So super walkable. A lot of people that live, live in the neighborhood, I'm sure will be checking out this spot. Um, parking is uh, one of the challenges there. I remember yeah. um, I used to work for the the Lowlands group um, and did my interview there. And I just remember like it, it was so distinctive, that triangle shape. And mm-hmm. um, it's like so centrally located in that neighborhood. It does feel um, really like it's you can feel the history. Like it's been there for, for this time and has been an institution, a yeah. tie house and, and, and this family business. Yeah. And it's so distinctive looking that people remember it. And it's had so many sort of locally iconic places like sequels and under the bridge and trocadero that that everybody really knows what it is and where it is yeah so you can find out more and see pictures from the inside plus some of those incredible images that you got from the the, uh, the drummel family uh really really great stuff and some incredible research like i said you could definitely do you could do like a two-hour documentary just on this <laughs> one piece let's do it <laughs> some really great stuff see here, it at Bobby. the film festival next year <laughs> Well, podcasts here on 88.9 are produced by Kenny Perez. You can find a link to Bobby's story in the description box of whatever platform you're using to listen. We've got a link right to On Milwaukee where you can see those photos we mentioned. And do take a moment to subscribe. Uh, We'd love to have you back next Tuesday. We're always releasing new episodes uh, on Tuesdays, and we'd love to hear your feedback, too. Please rate and review. Oh, and before we go, 
we've got a bit of trivia. Yes, this is our new trivia moment. This right? is our tri- you made it to the very end, past the credits here. We've got right. Uh, this is an interesting little bit from the basement, Bobby. From yes, this building. There is um, a pad of concrete in the basement. You can't can't really tell the age of it. It might be original, it might not be, but it's got dog paw, paw prints all over it. So when the concrete was wet, somebody's dog went down there and just looked like it did a dance <laughs> <laughs> in this concrete in the basement, which is pretty cool. Well, that is positively. <laughs> Should I just not even finish? <laughs> it's positively fascinating. All right. Well, that was fun. Yeah. So you make it to the end of these episodes. You're always going to find some trivia. We're going to work it in. You got to hold us to this, Bobby. As, as long as we remember. As long as we remember. And if we don't, you got to just don't do anything. We'll make up for it, actually. Right. Yeah, just, we'll make just, up for I was going to say rate and review, but don't. If we no. forget, just forgive us. Forget it. <laughs> we'll be back next week. <laughs>